So we started out already doing some interactive stuff. I'm going to keep it up and ask everyone just to come as close to me as you can. I'm not going to force you, but the closer you are, the better. I feel I'm more comfortable with that, and I like I like people surrounding you. You can even move chairs, do whatever you want. Is this close enough? This is per like <laughs> this close, closer, closer, closer. How do I turn this on? Am I on? You can hear me? Good. Cool. Yes. Neat. Cool. And look, you guys are actually, this is great. You're actually even doing it. I love this. Yeah, here we go. Perfect. Feels like, feels like we're at my house. Okay. So I'm going to just, I, I asked Scott if I could just share some stuff that's been going on in my, my life and my family's life for the last year and thoughts I've been having. I'm going to be talking about death, just a heads up, so it might seem a little morbid and sad at the beginning, but it'll get, hopefully, not like that the whole time. We'll see. But um, just to start off, this is something that I'm going to tell some stories, really, uh, kind of in the hope. I really am a person, if I'm teaching and leading, I like to have a relationship with everyone because I feel more comfortable. Like, why should you listen to me if you don't know me, you know? I don't have a relationship with all of you, so I'm going to tell stories in the hope that maybe, if nothing else, you have sympathy for me. Hopefully, empathy will kind of build bonds. But, um, so for me, starting out, I have to tell you guys, I'm terrified of death. And just a little clarification, like I'm not really afraid to die myself. I could die right now, and I don't really care. I, I would feel bad because you'd all be traumatized if I dropped dead right now. <laughs> but I really, honestly, I don't care about, I don't care when I die or whatever. Not worried about that. But I really am like just terrified of death and losing people around me that I really love and care about, you know? Maybe I'm not the only one here that has dealt with that before. But um, example of this, so last year, spring break, my family and I went on a trip. And we, uh, the whole time my parents were just like kind of making jokes, and it was really stupid, they were just being silly, and making jokes about getting older. And they're really not that old, they're right here, you can see them, they're not like old, decrepit people. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not old, but they're making these jokes this whole time, and like honestly, and I haven't really told anybody this, but like for a few days after this trip, I like slunk down into depression, because just like facing the truth of like, you know, <laughs> my mom's crying, I already started <laughs> off at a good, started off well. But, but just facing the reality of the fact that, you know, here are people that I really love, and the reality of life is that they're not going to be here all the time, you know? And just even this kind of joking matter made me kind of depressed for a few days. I tell you that because that was before summer. Last week marks a year from the uh, Vineyards Unity and Diversity Conference, which I know Aiden and I were there, and Jeff and Ingo were there. That, I think that was probably all of us that went. Uh, so there's this big vineyard conference, and I was really excited because it's my first vineyard conference to go to, right? Um, my parents live in Houston, so we were there at their house beforehand, kind of having food before we go to the first little session of the conference. And uh, my dad, you know, we're sitting there, and I, I foolishly started thinking about this stuff and was going to talk about it without thinking I might start crying. So if I start crying, just ignore it. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we're sitting there, we're having, we're having some food, and my dad, who honestly, you guys, I can name like on one hand the amount of times in my life, I'm almost 26, that he has been sick, like sick enough to not go to work. It's probably maybe like three times. Um, doesn't ever go to the doctor, always really healthy. At this point, couldn't, you know, he just seemed totally normal. We're sitting there having dinner, and he says, well, so you guys, I went to the doctor, 
which that in itself is like amazing because she never goes to the doctor. Um, he says, basically, my, my, you know, my doctor told me that there's something wrong with my heart. My aorta valve is not working, and essentially told him that the left side of his heart was swelled to at least twice the size that it should be. Uh, and so kind of we start learning about this, this thing that he has, and the, basically, it's like one of the few, if not the only, heart condition that you don't know beforehand because you don't feel it. You're totally normal. It kind of thrives off of like hard work and stuff. You don't look sick or anything, so it's like even weirder because he doesn't seem sick. Then uh, also, there's kind of like, essentially there is a point of no return for this thing. So if at a certain point, you don't know you have it, it's too late, you can't do anything about it, you probably won't last throughout the year. The doctors told him, you are basically at that point right now. If, you, if we had not caught this, wouldn't be able to do anything about it, you probably wouldn't be alive. I tell you, it was a year ago, just so you know, he's here, it was a year ago. He's fine, he's alive, cool, good. Um, <laughs> On top of that, they kind of, they, we, I don't know when I found this out, but basically the way that most doctors find out people have this thing is through an autopsy. So the person dies, they don't know why they died, give the person an autopsy, find out this person had this heart disease because no reason for people to even know they're sick, right? Even more, I just found out that his doctor essentially told, like was really adamant about getting a, a specialist in there right, there, right then to see him because he was afraid that he was not going to make it out of the examining room, thought he was going to die right there in his examining room. So he's like, we need to get a heart doctor. Uh, kind of an intense thing, right? Uh, also, we're at this conference, you know, one of the days he leaves during the lunch break, and I found out later it was to go home and write his funeral service. Because he didn't know, that could have been the last chance for him to write, you know, this is it, this is my goodbye. So. I'm afraid of death. All of a sudden, death is knocking at my door. I wish I could say it stops there, but it doesn't. So time goes on, and I go back up here. I'm here for a few days working and stuff, and I come back home, and it's right about the time of my birthday, so I'm going home to celebrate. This could be my last birthday with my father, you know, all of this stuff, kind of emotional. I'm on the way home, and I get a call from my mom saying, hey, guess what? Your grandma's in the emergency room. And I'm thinking, oh, cool, great. Um, so at this, you know, dealing with that, going to hospitals and stuff. Time goes on, we go and we get, he, he get his heart surgery done. Um, obviously, like I said, he's here, everything's fine, he's good. Within the next week or so, I can't remember exactly when, but my mom goes to get back surgery, which not as, not near as severe or like scary as open heart surgery, but in the like list of surgeries you want, back surgery is not really the top because sometimes it just doesn't help. Uh, the day before we went to do that, we got a call from my grandfather, kind of saying, hey, if you guys need help, like, get into the hospital, let me know, I'll help, I'll drive you, you know, whatever. I tell you that because the next day after my mom's surgery, we get a call from a different hospital. We're starting to lose track at this point, like, what hospital is what. Get a call from a different hospital saying, hey, guess what, your grandfather's in the ICU. And the only reason they even knew to call us, because he's really independent, like, he was just offering to drive us to the hospital, right? They found my dad's phone number in his wallet and called him to tell him he's in the ICU. So, in, in, within all this time, we, we find out too, like in this time frame, that why my grandmother was having memory loss and we took her to the emergency room is that she has lymphoma, so she's got cancer. So we're kind of balancing between checkups for my dad, for my mom, going to the ICU for my grandfather, getting chemo and stuff started with my grandmother, 
Um, basically, the week goes by that we found out my grandfather was sick, and at the end of the week, he passes away. Two days later, we get a call from my uncle. If this isn't getting convoluted enough for you, I'm going to make it worse. We get a call from my uncle, and I had a cousin, uh, James, who was just a couple months older than me, and he had cancer for about three, maybe a little more than three years or so, and he died. My uncle was calling to say, hey, James is dead. Um, sorry, I'm starting to waver a little bit. So, my grandfather just died. Got a call, James is dead. The week goes through, and by the end of the week, I think it was exactly a week and a day, and my grandmother passes away. So, what started out as being a weekend to go home for a nice, fun vineyard conference turned into two months of me being in Houston, like, basically every single week, something new happening, and death really just, like, surrounding my family, essentially. I mean, like, really, I mean, Scott remembers. I was calling him, like, every week, and it's like, oh, yeah, guess what? Now this happened, so I'm still here. That's the saddest part. It's going to get better. So I think, you know, I've just been thinking, this has obviously been on my mind in the last year, and I think one of the things that's so important for us as Christians, we just have to deal with, like, what are we as Christians supposed to do when we are faced with death? And not just, like, when we experience it, but just, like, the reality of death. Like, how do we react? What do we think about it? Um... I'm going to kind of be jumping around in scripture. I'm not fancy like everyone and didn't prepare PowerPoints. So I'll read. You can follow along if you want, but I'm going to read. You can hear me read it. So the first thing, this is, this is Romans 6.23. Probably some of you might already know what I'm going to say, but if you don't, you'll know it basically right when I start saying it. But Paul says this, The wages paid by sin, you see, are death, but God's free gift is the life of the age to come in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Maybe like a translation you're more familiar with is the wages of sin is death, right? The gift of God is, the, is eternal life through Jesus. And I know for, this might just be me, um, but growing up, the way I always kind of heard that and understood it was basically, you know, we're talking about eternal life there with Jesus, so obviously heaven, which must mean sin equals hell, Jesus equals forgiveness of sin, so we get to heaven, right? And then I, that might, anyone else, has that been the way you've thought about this? Yeah, I'm seeing nods, good, cool. Um... It's always nice to know that you're, you're paying attention and listening. So I'm going to turn us here to James, because I think we're going to talk about this, because I don't know if that's... I think that's part of the picture, but not totally what's going on. James says basically the same thing, and this is James 1, verses 14 and 15, and he says, Rather, each person is tested when they are dragged off and enticed by their own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to, to sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. Again, like a translation you might be more familiar with. Temptation gives birth to sin, and sin, once it has been fully conceived, gives birth to death. And I really don't think that this is just Paul or James just talking about like spiritual death, like hell, but I think, really, let, let's go to Genesis. I'm not going to read Genesis. I'm going to paraphrase. Genesis, right? We have the creation. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, like, everything. And it's really good, you know? And there's one thing that's not good. God created man alone. That's not good. So God creates woman. He says, that is very good, Right? And I kind of, if right, Susan says yes. I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, I am, I'm going to say it, and you might all, some of you might hate me, but ladies, I know that you're just as messed up as we are, so I don't know. It's just, you're not just, you know, it's not just that women are really good, but it's really, in Genesis 1 and 2, we get this picture that God creates, you know, he creates the world, he creates, like, the sky and the ocean, he creates the animals and the plants, he, basically everything, he creates human beings, he gives us, like, senses so we can, like, we can appreciate, you know, we can see the world and the beauty that's there. 
We have eyes to see it. We, have, we can feel the wind on us. We can go swimming and enjoy that kind of thing. Then he like, creates other human beings and gives us feelings, so we're able to like, not just see each other, but we, we interact. We have like, feelings for each other, like either romantic or you know, just as human beings, have the capacity to love each other. You know? And it's really God just created every single little itty-bitty facet of life and it was all really, really, really good. And I think we have to be a people who, does not, who do not lose sight of the fact that it's, God's creation is really good. Genesis 3 comes along. We all know this, right? Genesis 3. Which we all know is the fall of man. And so Adam and Eve get tempted by, this, by the snake and they eat the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden sin enters the world. That good creation is like shattered. Everything falls apart. Um, you guys know what happens after that? They get expelled from the garden. The very next story, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids, Cain kills his brother Abel. Here we have, in Genesis, we have sin enters the world. Genesis 3, Genesis 4, death. The wages of sin is death. Not just like spiritual death, not just like you're going to hell because of sin, but like literally the reason that death even exists in the world is because sin is in the world, Right? Hopefully that makes some sense. Um, and I think it's even more like death is like, it's the ultimate expression of the effect that sin has had on the world. Death is not just like the one-off kind of event, but I've kind of thought of death for a long time. Maybe it's like an inclined plane, perhaps. It's like a progression where you have like something really small and insignificant, maybe like, I don't know, like allergies. If you're dealing with allergies, it seems like a big deal. But in the grand scope of things, not that big of a deal. But there's things that just grow and it, worse and worse things in God's creation that aren't supposed to be there that build and build and build and eventually climax with death, right? Death is not just like a one-off event at the end of our lives. It is the, the building of the brokenness of the world that end in death, right? If, if hopefully, again, that makes sense. Um, in biblical imagination, I just, it, death doesn't just re- represent death. It's the ultimate expression of how far things have gotten from God's intention for his good creation. Cool. So, I'm going to turn us to 1 Corinthians 15 and read a little bit out of this. This is one of the best parts of the whole New Testament, if you ask me. But I say that about almost all of the New Testament. So, Paul starts off this, he's talking to the Corinthians, and he, he starts off by saying, hey, let me remind you of the good news, the gospel that has been preached to you and you've accepted. So this is, starts in verse 3. He says, what I handed... What I handed on to you at the beginning, you see, was what I received, namely this. The Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Bible. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Bible. Not only that, he was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve, then he was seen by over 500 brothers and sisters at once, most of whom are still with us, though some have fallen asleep. Then he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles, and last of all, as to one ripped from the womb, he appeared even to me. So he says, let me remind you, Jesus died, like died, was in the grave, and then came back, and a lot of people saw him. Remember that. Don't ever lose sight of that. This goes down to verse 12. Well then, if the royal proclamation, if the gospel that we preach of the Messiah is made on the basis that he's been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? In Corinth, there were some people who were basically saying, There is no such thing as resurrection, not just in the sense of Jesus was resurrected, but the idea that we, God's people, won't be resurrected in a similar fashion. They're saying it doesn't exist. 
That's silly. How could that even be possible? And Paul says, how can you say that, right? If there's no such thing as a resurrection of the dead, the Messiah hasn't been raised either. And if the Messiah hasn't been raised, our royal proclamation, the gospel, is empty and so is your faith. We even turn out to have been misrepresenting God because we gave it as our evidence about God that he raised the Messiah. And he didn't, if that is, the dead are not raised. For if the dead aren't raised, the Messiah wasn't raised either. And if the Messiah wasn't raised, your faith is pointless and you are still in your sins. What's more, if that wasn't enough, people who have fallen asleep in the Messiah have perished for good. If it's only in this present life that we have put our hope in the Messiah, we are the most pitiable members of the human race. But, good thing there's a but, but, in fact, the Messiah has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since it was through a human that death arrived, it's through a human that the resurrection from the dead has arrived. All die in Adam, you see, and all will be made alive in the Messiah. So we just celebrated Easter last week, right? Easter, Jesus died. On Easter, he was alive again. Paul, I think, right here when we just read in 1 Corinthians, basically it's this idea that we're celebrating that death itself is essentially has become an endangered animal, as it were, and one day is going to be extinct. Like death, that progression that leads up to death has kind of been applied to death itself now to where death is kind of on the way out. And that's what we're reading in 1 Corinthians. And Paul like, makes it, he ties that to Jesus, you know? It's all about, it's about Easter. Um, and it's not just spiritual death, but actual bodily death. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if like you and me, one day when we die and the people we love, and you know, basically everyone who's a Christian is not going to be raised from the dead, death really be defeated one day, then it didn't happen to Jesus either. Which means, if that's the truth, that we have been lying about God because our whole message as Christians is that Jesus is alive. And he says, well, if we aren't going to be alive too, then we're liars about God. Even more, we are still in our sins. But then he goes on to say, we're not. But Jesus did rise again. So we too are going to rise, but each in its proper order. He said there that Christ is the first fruits, right? Do you guys know what first fruits was? Like, so if you have a harvest, if you're a farmer, you have the first fruits. And it's kind of like the first little bit of the harvest to show you what the rest of the harvest is going to be like. Jesus, in his resurrection, is the first fruits. The picture of what the harvest will be like, we are the harvest that one day will mimic his resurrection, essentially. If that doesn't sound crazy, I don't know. Um, I just think this is really, really important because it really is... I mean, those of you who know me hear me talk about this a lot, and you've heard me talk about this a lot over the years. I think it's so important for us as Christians to have a good, solid view of death because I just know a lot of people who, when all of a sudden they're faced with death, we start just like going into all sorts of crazy things and lose sight of this resurrection hope that death has been defeated. I mean, like really defeated. And we start just saying stuff. And I'm just going to say, here's some, just some examples of things that I will hear when people face death, right? I mean, one, this one isn't really all that bad, but like, you know, that person's just gone home. You know, they've gone home to be with God. And that, like, in a sense, yeah, that's totally true. They have gone home and they are with God. But you guys, God created earth to be our home. The Bible ends with heaven and earth and resurrection. Like, our home is with God, but that home is not just like some weird disembodied 
spiritual state, but it's like a combining of all of God's creation together, like renewed creation, right? Um, kind of going along with that, and this is one I've heard before, is, you know, oh, that person died, and now they're, just, they're an angel in heaven. Maybe if you guys heard that before. You guys, the Bible doesn't say we turn into angels. The Bible says we become like the angels, like in the sense of like, you know, the angels have their place in heaven when we die and go to be with God in the intermediate state between death and resurrection. We find our belonging in heaven the same way as the angels do. But again, the Bible ends with heaven and earth coming back together. So our place, just as much in heaven as it is on earth, resurrection is a doctrine, a kind of idea that embraces all of this stuff. Um, Another one, this is a huge one, is that death is just a part of life, right? Probably we have all heard that. Death is just a normal part of life. It's something you just deal with, right? You guys, the point of what I'm trying to tell you right now is it's not. It's not a normal part of life, and it was not part of God's intention. God did not create everything with the intention for us to die. Death, essentially, is an intruder into God's good creation. Just for me, the way that I have under, like, experienced this, and maybe some of you will... will sympathize or empathize, but when you, when, death is just something we hear about our whole lives, you know, like we just know about death, but then when you lose someone that you've had your whole life around you, it's just like, it's almost impossible to grasp it, you know, it's like we should be, everything should be changed, but really life just kind of goes on, and it, it doesn't seem that much different, and it's hard to remember, like I just remember when we were going through my grandmother's house, finding stuff and being like, oh yeah, I need to ask grandma what this, what, you know, who this was, or what this is about. And it's like, oh yeah, I can't. Because she's gone. It's like something you just, we can't totally, tangibly grasp and understand death. Like part of that is because we're not supposed to experience death. God didn't want that for us. This is the last little one. Um, let me get a drink real quick. This is one you hear a lot is that death is a celebration, right? And, I mean, in a sense, in a really small sense, when there's, like, pain and suffering, and death puts an end to someone being in pain and suffering, absolutely, that is something to be happy for and celebrate. But death itself is not something to celebrate. In fact, it's something like God doesn't celebrate death. God hates, that's the whole point of Easter. God hates death so much, he wanted to stop death. And he made, he put Jesus, him, he became a human being to go through death so he could stop death. God hates it. And I think, even, you know, like a great example, there's a handful of places in the Gospels where we see Jesus really, really upset. One of them is when his friend Lazarus dies, right? And this is a, this is a verse every Sunday school kid knows. It has to do memory verses because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, right? And he's weeping because his friend, his good friend Lazarus dies. And Jesus, he doesn't just cry. He weeps and he wails and he mourns because he experiences death. God, like, God himself weeps and mourns when he sees death. He doesn't celebrate it and say, oh, good, he's finally gone to be with God. He, he is devastated by it. He understands the fullness of the pain that death causes. I'm just kind of tired of being told that when death happens, we should celebrate it. Because God doesn't celebrate it. You know, I think we should. There is, there is things to celebrate, like I said, when pain and stuff is stopped, but death itself is not something to celebrate. At best, even talk, saying these kind of things like distorts God's view of what he thinks about death. And at the very worst, I think this kind of attitude will lead to people not actually dealing with death. You know, if we say death's not a big deal, don't worry about it. Like people don't, 
ever fully mourn and grieve and get through what they need to to, to move on past death. Not that, you know, there's a certain way you should act because I don't know what that is. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to say you have to, if you don't experience death this way, you're doing it wrong. So I don't think that's true. But I think I, I mean, I, and I do understand all of this kind of stuff. I think, we're, like, like I said, I'm afraid of death. I think probably a lot of us are kind of afraid of death. As human beings, we're afraid of death, so it's easier to say, oh, death's not a big deal because we're not afraid of it anymore, right? If we, just, if we minimize death and its effect, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that scary. I already said First Corinthians is one of my favorite parts of the New Testament. Here's another favorite part of the New Testament. Uh, this is Hebrews 2, and this is going to be verses 14 and 15. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Since the children share in blood and flesh, he too, Jesus, shared in them in just the same way, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And this is where it gets important. And set free the people who all their lives long were under the power of slavery because of their fear of death. That's us, you guys. We are the ones who all our lives long have been under the power of slavery because we're afraid of death. But Easter, we celebrated last week, reminds us that death has been defeated. We are no longer under the power of death. We're no longer enslaved to that. We don't have to be afraid of it. Scott said that last week. We don't have to be afraid of it. It's been beaten. So, what are we supposed to do as Christians with death? How do we react to it? I think, really, we mourn it, and we, we, treat, we understand it for what it is, an intruder in God's good creation, something he didn't want, and something that is terrible. But we are a people who worship a crucified and risen king, so we know that death has been beaten and is on its way out. We celebrate that. We don't celebrate death, but we celebrate that death is on its It's basically almost dead. That's the whole part in 1 Corinthians, right? He says, where, oh, we sang that this morning, sin has lost its power, death has lost its sting, because from the grave you've risen victoriously. Um, another one of my favorite parts of the New Testament is going to be the last thing I'm going to read for us. This is Revelation 21. Revelation, I think, for me at least, has been a scary book to think about, because it's, what's it talking about? I don't know. Um... <laughs> But this is basically the way that it ends. There's another chapter after this, but Revelation 21, this will be verses 1 through 4. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride, dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne, and this is what it said. Look, God has come to dwell with humans. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. If you're really paying attention, this sounds an awful lot like Genesis 1 and 2. God dwelling on earth with his people, ruling over his people. Full picture. Go figure. The Bible's cool. <laughs> this is where it really gets important. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or weeping or pain anymore since the first things have passed away. We are people who look forward to a day when there's no more pain, there's no more tears, no more weeping or mourning, and no more death. And not only do we look forward to it, but we are assured that because it already started to happen, Jesus himself was, it was risen. 
something, I mean, this is, sorry, I'm going to start going on tangents, I do that, but something in Matthew that is so cool, if you're reading Matthew, and maybe it's weird if you don't know what's going on, but in Matthew's resurrection account, there's a little part where he says, when Jesus was raised, there were people who had been dead, who are raised and come out of the tombs and walk around the city. And it's like, what on earth is going on? But you guys, look, this is the picture, death has lost its grasp on humanity because Jesus has beaten death, so much so that people who were dead are now alive and are walking around in Jerusalem, which would freak me out, probably. <laughs> That's all I gotta say, really. Death, death has been, it's been beaten. So we see death for what it is, awful, but we know that's not the end of the story. There's more coming. Good news. So I'm just going to end, I'm going to end by blessing us. And at the end of the blessing, I'm going to say, the Lord is with you, to which you will all respond. There we go, cool, so I don't look stupid when I do it. Great. So I'm just going to be quiet for a second and just... uh, you can do that too and just listen to God and the Holy Spirit and I'll bless us and then we will be done and free to go with our day. I bless you in the name of Jesus, the conqueror of death. May you go through your days without fear of living in death and living in the truth of resurrection. May the power of the spirit of life flow through you and into the world. The Lord is with you. That's all I got. Thank you.